there are three points to the clinical, the evidence-based triangle that we learn, everyone learns. One of the points of the triangle is clinical expertise. One of the points of the triangle is clinical expertise. The other point is evidence. The other point is patients' beliefs, wants, needs. So if you have a practitioner that is truly practicing evidence-based practice, they need to be practicing all of those things. And maybe they don't know your specific case, but are they willing to find out? You're listening to Rebel Heart Radio, hosted by nutritional therapist Cassie Knavel and professional esthetician and makeup artist Genevieve Blair. A lifestyle podcast about clean living, making money, and badass people that inspire us endlessly. We created this podcast to walk through the tough moments of life with you, inspire you to live more intentionally, and frankly, because we like to talk. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure to catch our weekly episode and subscribe to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have iTunes, we would be forever grateful for your review on our podcast. Let's get to our latest episode. The materials and content within this podcast are for general information and educational purposes only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Oh, welcome everybody to this episode of Rebel Heart Radio. We are super excited because our girl Laurel is joining us again. We should be, it should be like Doc, Doc Laurel, Dr. Laurel. You can just call me Laurel. That's I fine. <laughs> We're all recording in our pajamas anyway, so it's totally fine. Yes. I mean, Laurel is probably not where she's put together. I wish I was. I'm oh, super I'm, in my pajamas right now. I, I'm in my upset about pants. a zippered pant. Right <laughs> <laughs> zippered pants are rude. Uh, but anyways, so we're we're going to be chatting uh, when we get into the nitty gritty of the episode about advocating for yourself in the medical system uh, and being your own health advocate, which I think is absolutely necessary and it's actually spurred by a listener question which i'll share with you guys in a little bit Mm -hmm. but we're just gonna jump in and say hey and what's up to these ladies so genevieve what's up with you girl what's up well it's it's actually kind of serendipitous that we're on the call with laurel because uh, (laughs) i have a great update about all the things that i keep talking about that she's been helping me with yeah you guys just take it away i'll just be over here i (laughs) (laughs) I can't even tell you. Like, so first of all, I've realized over the last few weeks that I've never done a squat movement properly in the like 15 years that I've actually like on and off again been doing squats. Like I was not planting my feet properly. I don't think muscles were activating that were correct. Like, and I, I mean, just, and it wasn't because oh, for the lack of trying, but having right. a practitioner on the other end, evaluating my own movements, I like that is so invaluable like I had no idea that I was like lifting up my toes on the way down into a squat like I like I didn't know that I wasn't like like my my knees would wiggle a little bit mm. and you know what I mean and I just I it's hard when you're lifting something heavy to really look at all those details you know what I mean so I'm well, happy and- to report that I'm feeling better yeah which is super exciting I feel like my hip flexor is like um, actually like activating and like my glutes are, I didn't, I, I, okay. So my glutes, I did not know how bad my glutes were not activating in most of my movements until I started doing the PT work that you were giving me. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> there they are. <laughs> well, and to be fair, like, so th- there's a lot of talk right now about how like, stop saying your glutes are asleep or that your glutes are not like, if your glutes weren't working, you wouldn't be able to walk. I'm like, agreed. But it's more of a ratio, right? Of like what muscles should be working more than other muscles when. and it's, what it's like recruitment, right? The coordination, so like yeah. the timing. Um, so it's more definitely nuanced than like your glutes aren't working. Well, like they are, but um, we needed them to kick on a little bit faster in the movement. And yes. also, you know, some people can squat exactly like you were and have no pain and no issue. But that wasn't working for you. And so we had to figure out why it wasn't working for you. And so I think that's also like, this isn't the right way. This isn't the wrong way. But it's like, how does this feel good to your body? And that's why we all work with practitioners. (laughs) And don't just buy like the... That's why we don't just like get our information off of Instagram. As much as I would love for it to be like 
Instagram showed me this. It's like, well, sometimes a little video to your friend, a little video session back. <laughs> that was the coolest thing ever. So she's in Germany and I'm in the United States and it's like super late for her. And it was just like, we were having this video conversation where she was showing me what my toes should look like. And I was showing her like basically my squat without weight from different angles and we were like this is so cool yeah I literally was in my pajamas and was like I'm just gonna take a video now on the floor I'm not like doing a real telehealth thing and so I was just like laying on my very dark living room floor in my pajamas showing (laughs) Genevieve like some corrective exercises like let me know if this works for you otherwise we can have a legitimate interaction and and appointment together beginning it like changed my world. Well, first of all, I was also really, really consistent with what you gave me. Like I was. Yeah, you're the best like patient in the entire week. world. Yes, yeah. I will take that compliment because uh, I mean, yeah. I know what it's like to have people not follow directions. I'm the worst yeah. patient, so I'm like, also the worst patient. <laughs> yeah, I'm also a heavy obliger. Yeah, uh, I think I've fully moved into just constant obliger rebellion, hundred percent of the time. Just and I'm like middle, middle fingers articles about what you're telling me before I even believe you. <laughs> also, questioner, yeah, also. major questioner over here. No uh, way, you what? 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 I was like, it makes what, you what? an excellent practitioner and an yes. excellent researcher and writer, which is awesome. See, so. I'm in that space when somebody's not an expert. Like, if somebody's gained my trust, it's like you're in. I will, yeah, yeah, yeah. The cows come home. Like, I'm with you on that. Yes. Yeah. Mm, and it's yeah. like, but that's kind of the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, have, finding the trust and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But so that's what's up with me. That's like the big thing lately. There's this guy in the gym who always compliments me on my pants. Yeah, girl. He's Awkward. the nicest guy ever. No, he's so nice. Like we're both uh-huh. married and he's just yeah. like across the gym. Like, I see you. What's up? And I'm like, mm. hey, Victor, what's up? Yeah. This and is me being skeptical about a dude complimenting you in your pants. Hey, Going to continue <laughs> to be skeptical about that. Well, to be fair, like this started months ago and he's just continued to just be a really nice guy. He's training for a triathlon. So we see each other kind of at the same time. And he, he and I got in a conversation about, cause he sees me doing the same PT work all the time. And he was just like, how is it going? And I was like, amazing. Oh, Victor. <laughs> I know. He was just like, right on, right on. I love that you're like seeking out the right people and you're not just taking like some random person's advice. Can you know, I get a like visual on Victor? People. What are we working with here? Oh, Victor, he's so cool. He's super tall. And he's, um, how do I explain? Like, he looks like he probably weighs about, like, 230, but he's not, a, like, overweight. Like, he's just, like, a really tall, big dude. He wears a do-rag yes. to the gym. Uh-huh. I love him. And he's got tattoos, and he's got no hair. He drives um, the Max Trains. He's a Max Train driver what a good visual okay that's what I like needed. he's an amazing human being. for those of you who need context that's our transit system in the portland area <laughs> yeah like he's just like he's he's a good guy and he um is very big on like proper movement like that's why we see each other all the time is we're always like pretty much warming up around the same time and then he goes off and does his thing and i wait anyway. you have to warm up before you lift weights what's that what? i know that <laughs> No, I'm not saying it because I don't do it. I'm saying it because I'm being sassy. I know. I I do do it. Uh, But I also get looked at like I'm crazy. Right? I know. (sighs) You're taking up space. Or or when you're doing like weird different kinds of squats, they're like, your legs are not supposed to. Actually, yes, it's a sumo squat. Just go away. (laughs) Yeah. Let me do me. Oh, but I'm that person who like definitely has like the resting bitch face at the gym all at all times where I'm like, do not talk to me. And if you do, I will literally bite your head off. Uh That's me with my big headphones. That's my resting bitch face. That's just um, that's just me after years of people walking up to me and being like, oh, let me show you how to do that better. Because I just went to crunch gym for way too long, which is this amazing globo gym that's super inexpensive, which is why I went there because I could pay the ten dollars a month to go to the gym but then I could afford personal training because I was only paying ten dollars a month to go to the gym (laughs) it was awesome that's That's how I started my fitness journey was with personal training but I um yeah it's it it was just like meathead after meathead and and I'm like please we're done like I just yeah please yeah please don't I yeah this is me and I'm bitchy leave me alone I unfortunately haven't had too many bad experiences, but it's probably because I walk around with these earmuffs on. At the club I go to now, it's definitely significantly less. I'm also on the weight floor less. I'm doing a lot more yoga and things like that. So, Which, let's talk about that for a second, because I am so impressed 
by you like diving into a new form of movement that is totally working for you. And I feel like when I first met you, not that you were anti-yoga, but you were anti-yoga. <laughs> well, I, I, we talked about this a little bit in the past, but basically I think, I think one of the huge like pitfalls to the CrossFit community is just that culture of feeling like once you've tried CrossFit, like there's no other good way to mm. work out. Okay. Um, even though, you know, the philosophy is like multiple modalities are great. We had someone who did yoga instructing, but I think it really hinges on my intense personality. Yeah. And, and yoga can have its own intensity. You have to be pretty good at it to be able to tap into said intensity. Mm-hmm. But what I, what I need is to like be able to slow down and right literally freaking breathe <laughs> right I yeah i don't like there's a reason why i have i have such a problem like literally releasing my pelvis like right. and my pelvic floor i, I i'm the person that shallow who, breather it's like it's like super t- it's like way up there mm-hmm. so <laughs> anyways it's that's way up there. that's a, a another telehealth day for us <laughs> but anyways i yeah i've been doing yoga and uh it's been really good for me and you know, I don't walk in there and feel like, oh my God, I just had the best workout ever. It doesn't feel like a workout. Right, it feels different. like I'm working in mm-hmm. and for, and it's been emotional, like personal mm-hmm. work too, which I didn't expect. And I think, yeah, when we met, I was not ready for something like that for sure. That's valid. Um, and I had always like loved yoga and thought of it. Like I still think of it as an incredible modality and incredible mm-hmm. sport. I think it's amazing. Um, the people who do it are super talented, Yeah. uh, but I never saw it as being part of my daily practice just because it's not my default to slow down. Right, right, right. Same right. with, me- same with meditation and same with journaling and all of those things are of course becoming part of my day to day. And I'm like, who are you right now? That makes sense. I literally journaled for the first time in my entire life since middle school, which wasn't journaling. It was like the diary of like everybody who pissed you off in that day and all the boys that you loved. Um, Oh my gosh, I can't even with mine. I need to throw them away. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I basically, I like sat down and kind of wrote out like some just like negative self-talk I was having, like some things that just weren't true, but were true in my head. And like wrote the flip side of that, like what actually was the truth. And that's the first journaling experience I've ever had. (laughs) I love that. Uh, Every time I'm at like a personal development retreat, conference, whatever, and that stuff comes up, I literally skip the journaling portion. I'm like, bye. Um, I would so much rather like talk it out. I'm a talk. Clearly, I have a <laughs> podcast. I hear you. <laughs> this is how we roll. It's just how it yeah. goes. So, yeah, I think uh, for me, it's 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 been good for me because it's doing the opposite of kind of what mm-hmm. I default to do as far as movement is concerned, and it's been great. I feel my sleep is better, and That's my energy awesome. is better. And I was just gonna ask, what's like been probably your big takeaway that you've come from yoga? I mean, that it's exactly what I need right now. And I that's don't awesome. really need it. And I don't really need anything else either. Like that's, that's awesome. been like, yeah. So I think it's just going to be hard for me to stay in the meditative, relaxed style yoga and not be like, okay, I need to do hot yoga and be like the best at it in the world. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> okay, acro, let's do acro yoga. Like, Which is partner. so fun. <clears throat> it's amazing. Say, yeah. I'm try that so bad. Yeah. So anyways, well, Laurel, when you come to town, you'll have to come to yoga with me. <gasps> Yes, I miss yoga so much. I miss yoga so much. Well, this um, is not going to be like the yoga you did in Nashville, most likely, but or anywhere else you've lived. No, that's fine. I just miss someone like walk, like what you were saying, like walking me through what I should be doing with my body. And that's what I love about CrossFit and yoga. I'm yeah. like, tell me what to do, and I yeah. will do it. That's and my then allowing part that like out. quiet time in shavasana when your body has mm. is my favorite. If I don't cry in shavasana, was it even worth it? Like that's what <laughs> I get this such oh. a physical emotional release in shavasana, and it and it doesn't matter like the instructor what they're saying or the music. It's not really like that, and I think it's because I'm like you that I don't allow myself the time and the space to slow down that when I do allow myself that time it's like holy it's a floodgate floodgates yeah it's all on the table we just recorded uh last week for uh an upcoming episode a double episode of uh talking about learning about our Enneagram types and how that's kind of impacted our lives 
and I'm gonna we'll share I'll share more about this yeah, with yeah, you yeah, personally because yeah, yeah. it would take up the entire podcast again but I just I ended up having like a lot of deep personal work to do in January and February that kind of rocked me yeah and I didn't expect it and yoga was such a beautiful compliment That's to that cool. That's very It cool. was really cool. And also, you know, a great yoga instructor will tell you like when and how to engage like mm-hmm. all those locks in the body and your core. And man, every time she goes, okay, engage your core. And I was like, oh, I wasn't doing that at all. <laughs> right. That's what <laughs> like, I love. Like we're in plank and I'm like not engaging my core. I'm like, yeah. isn't that what you do when you're in plank? Preaching to the choir. I can shoulder that <laughs> pose all day. I'm like, oh, my yeah, shoulders are so sore, but my core yeah, is like not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So anyways, that's that's pretty much what's up with me is yoga so that's awesome all right on laurel's that laurel's coming to visit that's what's up i can't wait i am so excited so this spring is actually like i was not looking forward to the amount of travel this spring just because it takes 48 hours to get to and from like one location to the other from our house to where i'm going in the united states and doing my PhD online, doing telehealth online, when I don't have Wi-Fi for long periods of time, then it pushes all of my work into a shorter span. So it gets very exhausting. Um, mm. But I just had such a good trip in March um, to kind of reconnect professionally to tech in Texas where I have research going on and there are some other um, like professional opportunities for the future that I had meetings and, um, and then this trip in April is just all like fun friends and family and get to see all of my husband's besties, which is so Cassie's husband and my husband were high school besties. And also, so love it. your husband and I went to like preschool together. All of the schools. What? Yeah. All of the I schools. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. We've Aww. known each other since we were two. So it's, we're That's lucky so cool. that Cassie and I are like down to have a friendship because oh, this could go they're, so they're many ways lucky. it's it is literally dream of dreams yeah it works out real well um so that's very exciting that we get to spend some time in uh in and around portland and hang out and like we ha- already have brunch reservations like this is where yes. we're happening um <laughs> so very excited about that and i just can i share a story really quick about please because i feel yes. like i was gonna do a Instagram thing about it. And I just feel like this is the right place. So in it's March. So in February, um, I went to, to a professional, basically it's like a professional networking. It's hiring future faculty members for all these universities. That's what I'm trying to go into. It's a different professional path for me. Like I've been used to being a practitioner. I've been a researcher and now I am trying to become like a faculty, like academia person. You need to teach. And which I'm so pumped about, but never have I ever had like limiting beliefs on my own personal, like my own personal performance, right? Like mm. I'm like, I've had limiting beliefs on maybe is the move worth it? Is the cost worth it? Like these kind of external factors, but never like my own, am I able to like, do I have the ability to do the, can I exactly. And I had a lot of like, oh my God, like just fear jumping into these meetings and like, I'm the youngest person here. I don't work for a university. I don't even have like everyone else had like square fancy university business cards that they were handing each other. And I had oh my, my like round edge matte logo, like femme unfolding business card. And my friend was like, you're the millennial entrepreneur in the group. <laughs> and everyone else is like, in their mid forties. And like, I work for Duke. I work for whatever. And I was like, I work for my own business out of my office in Germany. Um, and so it was really this, I was having all this like terrible self-talk and in the middle of a conversation, there were some faculty members that from the university that I went to, and they were trying to like introduce me to people. And the first question is, so where are you right now? And I have to be like, I'm in Germany. And then have to feeling like I had to qualify it with, but I'm in a PhD program and I started my own business and like immediately backtracking, backtracking, backtracking. And this woman interrupts and is like, she's just following around the guy she loves. Oh my gosh. And I was like, and it triggered every insecurity I've ever had because 
if anyone knows me, they know that I have a lot you're of like independence issues. You're such an independent person. And that- almost to like a fault that I get defensive about it. Like I need to not defend the choices that I've made to live with mm-hmm. my husband mm-hmm. <laughs> who well, is serving our country. Out. Well, I think so, Mama Bear just turned on. I like visually, I want to deck the woman in the face, right? But you know, and, but you know what? I really resonate with your response to that because I feel like I probably would have been innocent. It's taken me quite a long time of being married. You guys right. have been married for what? Two years? Two years? Three? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and for me, it's taken me a long time to understand the whole like sometimes it's your turn and sometimes it's Correct. not your turn. Correct. And that's really what it's about, right? Yeah. It's it's about taking and, turns. And so Eli and I, my husband and I, are there, right? Like, we are yep. so vocal about it. We are so on the same page. We have these conversations constantly, like, I'm supporting you with my location right now. You're supporting me with this, this, and this. Eventually, the pendulum is going to swing the other way. This is when it's good. Like, we're there. So I should just be confident on where I am in my relationship and where I am professionally. But you know what? I, I said, <laughs> I was like, I was like, Um, living with your husband is a good idea sometimes. And I was like, we have a really good partnership and life is all about partnerships. And I was like, and I was bitter at first that I was having to like, quote unquote, take a break professionally. And I go, but being in the spot without being in the spot, I would have never started my own business. And it made Mm me jump off of a ledge that I would have never done myself. And the Dean of this other school who was hiring was standing right next to me And she goes, she goes, you took a challenge and made it an opportunity. And she was like, yes, I, yeah, exactly. She got, she was like, you took a challenge and made it an opportunity. And she took my business card and she was like, and this is cool. She's like, I want to talk to you. And I was like, F yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, oh just FYI, gosh. we're explicit on the podcast. So oh, I just, I just default to F because yes, so. but it made me so like I went home that night when you start replaying all those conversations that you've had with different people. And I shook like so many hands and was trying not to be desperate, but like be energetic and like, I'm moving back in 2020 and we'll need a job, please. <laughs> um, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to meet you. What can I do for you? Um, and I just was so <clears throat> thankful for that woman, like, getting it and be, you know, you are a professional, you have your own skill set, and you happen to be married, and you happen to be supporting your partner's dream in another country right now. That's literally for two years. It's like a season out of your life. And And what perspective are you getting, getting outside of a box that most practitioners find themselves in? Well, and all of these schools were for, without getting too much into it, were for hybrid programs. So they're taking physical therapy education and flipping it on its head so that the majority of it's online and then you show up and then you do intensive like two week lab periods. Um, And their goals are to increase the diversity of PT students, like the socioeconomic group of PT students to allow people that maybe have families can now be physical therapy students. And so she's like, I'm looking for people that are okay with switching up the way things are done. And she goes, and you worked in a clinic and then like started a business on online and you had never done it before she's like are you working for a larger company and I was like no I didn't want to give someone else a percentage of my stuff and she was like you started a thing from the bottom and I was like thank you so much for understanding the value in that I didn't say that like that because it sounds very like like, thank you so much high five you yeah can I high five you fist bump millennial fist bump yeah exactly um well I think honestly we can dog on millennials all we want but there's a serious reality around us not being willing to compromise our dreams for yes. whatever and and let anyone tell us that our dream of doing some random thing on the internet <laughs> is like a bad right. thing right and i think it's pretty incredible the level of like advocacy that's coming out of this generation i think is really important and I think that's why, like, the conversation we're going to have today is going to rise up because of that. So right. I love it. It's, I feel like those kinds of interactions that you have with people really can be a huge tell as to, obviously, the other people you're around and how yes. they respond to that. And you find your tribe by that kind of, like, conflictual stuff. Right. Well, it made me think of how I support others, right? Yes. Maybe how I jump to conclusions and mm-hmm. there's just so much more to people than the, the immediate thing, 
thing you see and decisions behind the decisions, right? Like you, so you, many you layers. Don't know. You, don't you have know what's no going idea. On with other people. So I just yeah. appreciated it because I feel like you two are so good at, at um, supporting people and where they're at, start where people are at. And mm-hmm. I was like, ah, that just, I maybe needed that experience to do that for other people better. I just want you to know if I were in that same group of people, I would have bulldogged on that person. <laughs> yes, she would have. <laughs> it was a tough, I have no, I have no poker face. And so although I took a second and took a breath and was like, so living with your husband is a thing. I'm sure my immediate face was like, what? The? <laughs> I'm an open book too. Like, Everybody knows what I'm feeling. Yeah, I'm just but like, anyway, why? Why did you say that? There was no, yeah. that was an incredibly unnecessary statement other than maybe you're mildly threatened by my awesomeness. So thank no, you. No, for, for real. She was literally piece. like, man, it would be really cool to open my own business and live in Germany. Or I, how dare she try to like mess up the system that's already in place that nobody likes anyway. Right. Mm. Right. How dare like, you? What? How Let's dare talk you? About that. <laughs> oh gosh. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Okay, so let's jump into our our episode goodies for the day. Um, I think, so basically this entire discussion came from a listener question from our buddy Morgan, and she basically asked, hey, you touched on this at the end of the cold and flu part two episode, um, because we kind of chatted about the flu shot a little bit. Um, But I would love for you to talk about how to advocate for yourself in the healthcare world particularly the Western medicine realm. We all know or have had experiences of being dismissed or condescended to by the authority in which we should be, who should be supporting our health. Um, what way, what are ways we can advocate for ourselves in these situations? Uh, and this it's, I literally responded immediately to her and was like, yes, we're going to talk about this, but it's going to be a whole podcast episode because <laughs> it has to be, it can't just be some one-off question that we answer. It's such a big topic. And so I'm really excited to be able to have this discussion alongside Laurel and Genevieve because Laurel has had some experience in having some health challenges while abroad. She's had lots of health challenges in the past that were kind of a mystery to everybody she was working with and still kind of continue to be. And that's something she's really had to figure out on her own. And obviously having being a doctor is something that is going to help that, of course, because you know how to read medical research. You can jump into some a lot of that, you know where to tap into. But from the personal side, I think it's really difficult to figure out, you know, when to when to advocate for yourself, when to listen, when to fire your practitioner, whatever it is, and really Mm -hmm. kind of move forward through that. So I'm excited for you to be here. And then Genevieve is like mama bear extraordinaire, like really advocating for her children throughout this whole process of trying to figure out, um, you know, Paxton's diagnosis and that whole process. And we've talked a lot about that in previous episodes of the podcast. Like we've probably touched on it every other episode because it's such a big part of your life. Um, but I, but I think hearing about the advocacy piece for you and then just for me, I mean, my only real experience with this is just being on the periphery with my dad as he progressed through type two diabetes Mm -hmm. and then just advocating for my own choices for like having a natural childbirth in a hospital setting and literally being looked at like a freaking pariah. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm not even oh, kidding gosh. you. It was like, Oh, Can't. that's the weirdo who's saying no to the vitamin K shot and doing drops instead. Yeah. Scientifically mm-hmm. it's, it's chill. It's fine. It's good. Don't worry yeah. about it. Oh, and that's a whole nother personal, uh, personal choice. Heavy size in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so yeah. I, I always want to caveat. I mean, obviously we have a disclaimer, but none of this is medical advice. You guys were sharing from our own perspective as, as human beings as to kind of what we've been through in this, like you have to navigate this work with your practitioner as you navigate what this means for you. It's mm-hmm. so, so important. And I think, you know, so many times as patients, we really put so much trust in our healthcare providers and believe that they hold every single answer and every single antidote to all our problems. And that is literal bullshit, you guys. It's mm-hmm. not yeah. true. That's not um, even fair for the practitioners either. Like they, yeah, they take yeah. on that mantle so hard and you're like, well, hold on. Yeah. You know. Well, and there's tons of pressure on them and a system mm-hmm. that doesn't support that amount of pressure at all. Mm-hmm. And so I think our healthcare model is really broken and that's mm-hmm. probably again a whole nother discussion. But I think so many times as patients we go in, we expect our doctors to like literally solve our problems with a pill or 
um, maybe we're not excited about you know slapping a medication on something or maybe a medication isn't right in that moment sometimes it is right um but all of that to say i think you know obviously there's a huge discussion around the relationship between doctors and pharmaceuticals and all of that and we're not going to get into that today Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but we expect kind of this cure-all or an easy fix, or at least our doctor to have all of those answers for us. Um, But more often than not, like they're taking whatever issue you have and trying to dissect it in probably a really similar way that you would, except that they have the background knowledge to be able to do that probably much more efficiently. Um, But the truth is like, we just don't get the time with our practitioners that we need to really figure things out. And that's our medical system. It's really unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Um, But the truth is like, as individuals, like we're super unique. Our health is impacted by a million factors, not, not to mention like genetics, personal history, your diet, your lifestyle, your stress, your emotional and mental health and your history uh, trauma your access to care your like access your to care. financial access to care oh my gosh, oh my gosh. all gosh. of it yeah most of the health problems in my family had to do with lack of access and therefore preventative right. care right right um nothing right. was caught early with my dad and his right. diabetic condition nothing nothing was ever caught early in um any of the dentistry that we had over the years because mm-hmm. it was like you deal with like the complete broken cavity that needs a root canal instead of being like hey you've got a little bit of decay on this edge of your tooth make sure you work on it here you know and so I think you know no doctor is going to have all of the knowledge needed that we have of our own bodies like and I think this part of the discussion is so important to me knowing yourself and and knowing like how your body functions and and kind of what those basics are, I think is really important, but just all knowing, knowing yourself well enough and trusting yourself and your own instincts is incredibly important in this process. And I think it's really vital that we all learn to work in conjunction with our healthcare practitioners, like practitioners. And instead of thinking them as like this person who's above us as this person we're working alongside. And yeah, I think that is absolutely everything and it's taken me even a long time to get there because we just have this unabashed respect for people who have md next to their name and I'm like yes. it doesn't work that way i think an important thing to remember or to put into perspective is a all practitioners are human beings yep so if you think about what your profession is you may be better at one area of your profession than another, than someone of, that your coworker is. And so realizing that they have limitations within their specialty as well. But then also what I look for in a practitioner and what can like sell me on someone or make me trust someone or immediate be, immediately be like, I'm making an appointment with someone different tomorrow is their ability to um, know evidence, tell me like, we know this, this, and this about this condition, right? Like they know some evidence about this condition rather than just saying, you have this, you need this. Cause then that tells me they're working on like an algorithm (laughs) or a, I treat everyone that has this the exact same way. And this is how I treat them. And then also what asking what your preferences are, like, how would you like to treat this? What have you been doing for this? There are three um, points to the clinical, the evidence-based triangle that we learn, everyone learns. One of the points of the triangle is clinical expertise. One of the points of the triangle is clinical expertise. The other point is evidence. The other point is patients' beliefs, wants, needs. So if you have a practitioner that is truly practicing evidence-based practice, they need to be practicing all of those things. And maybe they don't know your specific case, but are they willing to find out? That's all I'm asking. Like, I'm not asking for someone to know everything about what I'm experiencing. But if they say, I don't know, but I'm going to look more into this, or I don't know, but I know someone that does, I respect you 100% more than the doctor or a practitioner that's in front of me, like trying to BS me about some treatment. Like, the transparency goes so far. That triangle, I just wrote it down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That just explains so much of what I'm looking for 
and just to have it like so plainly because it all they all inter like they all interact with each right. other like the clinical expertise is also is super like you can't do you need it yeah, exactly you, yeah you have to have it the evidence-based is like if you're not taking what's happening in front of you and like what you've seen based off, off of evidence then I mean what are you even doing like, right. What's your basis for decision making? Yes, right? exactly. Like, what yeah. are you trying to accomplish if you're not going to look at right. the evidence? And then the patient needs. I can't even tell you how many times one of those three things have been missing from my journey trying to help my children. And it and it all equals just massive frustration, I think, for everyone right. involved when there's something missing from that. Like, Right. Yeah, I, I think there's, you. I mean, on the practitioner side, too, I think there's a lot of pressure there to have the answers. Correct. Yeah. A lot. And you're not always going to have them. So, you know, I think for me, always in my, in just in my nutrition practice, being willing to say, you know, that's outside of my scope or, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't really know the answer to that. You have to feel, you have to come from this place of abundance as a business owner, if you're on that side of it or as a practitioner to say, hey, you know, I'm just going to send you to someone who I know can help you better than I can. And I think right. that referral process is really important. And I have so much respect for people, just like you said, Laurel, who I've I've been, you know, in their chair saying, hey, I don't know what's going on. What do you think about this? And they're like, you know what? I don't know. But, you know, let me refer you out or let's figure it out together. How are you feeling? Right. Tell me more about this. Like, how can we? And the truth is, I've never gotten that kind of feedback in our conventional medical system. And I won't say not from an MD, because that's I don't think that's the biggest designation there. There are plenty of amazing medical doctors out there who have that designation. But my experience is just always in the alternative medicine field. Actually feeling heard is the biggest difference between the two to me. That is absolutely the biggest difference. And I think a lot of it is... um, unfortunately, business model driven. Absolutely. Yes. That it's not so much um, like the heart of the person or the knowledge of the person or their willingness to help you. No, because they got into it for all of those reasons. To help people. Right. I think that it really is. um, I have these things that I can bill you for. And you know what isn't billable? Sitting on your freaking couch with your laptop at night trying to research for your person that you saw that day that's still racking your brain and is like, I need to help this person and I don't know what's going on with them. That's hours of unbillable time. Yep. Right. And I'm not saying that, that like we're all money hungry practitioners that work for insurance. No, no, I'm but just you saying need to like, make a living. it's a job and you need work life balance and we have yes. bills. Like at some point it's just like, yeah. And you have so relationships tr- and families. And I think it's right. that reminder that your practitioner is in fact a human being who needs boundaries. Right. right? I know. Right. Can I tell you a, a, a very specific story that actually plays into this? And this was actually an MD. So my son was five when we saw this practitioner and he was um, he's an MD. He's actually an immunologist specialist within an allergy office. And we saw him kind of on accident, like we moved and I had no luck with allergists before, even though my son had a ton of food allergies. And I just I, I lost a lot of faith mm-hmm. in that part of the system because it didn't fit my son at all yet he had all these food allergies and hives and did, did you know all these things I mean we I think I counted we saw 12 different practitioners before mm-hmm. he was five trying to I don't know if I've seen 12 in my life yeah and I mean it was it was painstaking <laughs> appointments and like just trying to get somebody to at least sleuth this out because obviously it wasn't working for him and like his current lifestyle, even with all of the food, um, taking food out of his diet, was it still just wasn't working for him. And uh, so by luck, um, we moved and I saw a new allergy office and we got put with this new practitioner because he was new in the office and he had an opening because it was a very busy allergy um, allergist office. And... Um, we sat down with him, and every time I go into a new practitioner, I bring in my stack. Your binder. My binder that is falling apart. I need to redo that. <laughs> and it's got, like, surgery info and blood work and um, recommendations from doctors and all of our visits and all of the conversations that they had been typing out. I keep everything. And uh, I just told him, I was like, so I know I'm going to, like come at you with a lot of information right now and I recognize this is not like an introductory new patient appointment but I think you need to at least know that this is what you're dealing with here and he grabbed that and he just sat it in his lap and he looked at me and he goes um how much time do you have and I said 
I got all the time in the world, buddy. <laughs> like, I was like, whatever you want to give me, man. And um, that MD came in and out of our room, I-, I mean, more than a dozen times. And he spent three hours with us. And he pissed off his office staff so bad. <laughs> they would come in the door and they'd be like, um, you have a... And he's like, okay, I'll be right there. And he would pop out and come back. And I, I mean, his level of like... I I want to hear everything blew me mm-hmm. away and he sat there and he took a blood test that was two and a half years old so he was Paxson was three when he had that blood work done and he looked at all of the and it was he had IgE levels and like food sensitivity tests and like um, vitamin deficiency tests and it was a relatively basic panel and we were at the time just checking his food allergy and but there was this one ig level ige level that was outside the normal range but it was only like 150 count outside the normal range and he's like well this is a breadcrumb that i really think we should follow based off of the evidence that's happening mm-hmm. with how he's dealing with food and life and and he but the best part about him was was that he spent the time with us that it took to understand he didn't dismiss me in fact he asked me if i had a medical career and i was like no <laughs> you're, you're like, meeting mama i'm just mama a mama bear i'm a mama yeah. bear yeah i yeah. was like first of all it fascinates me the human body i've always loved like i mm-hmm. i thought i would go into the medical career but i couldn't handle the system so uh but he was just you know i'm new to this area um and he told me his personal story his son had just been diagnosed with crohn's and told me about his frustration and i was like oh my gosh you get you it you get it yeah. yeah, you get it based off your personal mm. experience. And and he was like, I, I don't know any, I don't have a specialist that I would like to recommend to you, but I will recommend anyone you find. And I said, okay. And so you best believe I went home and I spent all of this time trying to find a practitioner that even mentioned it somewhere on their website. And I found one practitioner who listed eosinophilic esophagitis disease as a special interest and made the appointment, saw him three months later. And between the ability of those two practitioners after a a dozen other practitioners, MDs in that case, I finally felt like I was being heard, but I didn't, it took me all that time to realize that I had to go through this special process to feel heard. And I almost, I almost lost total faith. If it wasn't for that one MD that changed, just flipped everything on its head and was willing to be like, I understand that this office doesn't operate like this, but this patient really needs to, I need to hear them. Like, I I can't imagine how frustrated he made that office. (laughs) And the amount of time and energy that you have taken, I always, like, it's a, it's a job, right? Like the amount oh. of time and energy that you've spent to organize information, to contact physicians, to look stuff up online, even just if someone treats it. Think of someone, say your son was older and was trying to do that himself as he's also sick. No like way. that is why people don't get the care that they need. It's not because they don't care or are being lazy with their health care. It is so much time and energy and effort and for someone that is ill and maybe trying to hold down a job to keep their health insurance like Mm -mm. they're just trying to get through day by day and I really that's why I like advocacy in within a family or with a friend or having that like primary care or naturopath or someone that's your like cornerstone practitioner to really trust and it's hard to find for sure um but it's so important because it's so exhausting. It's, I mean, there's so a reason exhausting. why I, I quit working in the med spa. Yeah. I, I just, between learning how to wrap my head around taking care of him to advocating for him f- to trying to learn more about him and, you know, without having any like deep medical background, it was just, right. it was exhausting. And I'm pretty sure I cried through at least half of the appointment with him because I felt for the first time, like he was actually, somebody like was actually listening. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And he put his hand on my hand and was just like, I just want you to know that I know what this is like. And that's when he told me the story about his son. And I was just like, this is, this is, I, I, I can't tell you how incredible it feels to spend all that time into advocating for my child and just to have one practitioner 
mm-hmm. listen like and the thing i love about it the most is that he wasn't the one who actually ended up diagnosing or moving through like a treatment plan he was the one who said we're gonna follow this breadcrumb and i'm gonna mm-hmm. listen to you and then i'm gonna send you to someone who knows what they're talking about because i don't Yes. in this area thank god you know your own limitations yes. and you can get yeah. past your ego and like yeah that's i followed so i followed that guy he moved to a different clinic eight hours away i followed him because <laughs> i have to yeah. we, we have to see him once a year to be able to telehealth and have our insurance covered so we do we go see that's him awesome. once a year because it i can't it's it's so invaluable to have somebody who's actually listening to the that part of the triangle with the patient needs and right. history and care like yeah everything so i think i think a big part of this too and laurel you can probably speak to this is researching your own symptoms and your own illness or for your child is really really important like being when you walk into a doctor's office and you got stuff going on, you might need to be the most informed person in that room yeah. as to what's going on with your body. 100%. Yeah. I just did kind of a rant on um, Instagram stories about this because I've been going through my, my own stuff and I literally just prepared for a doctor's appointment like I was preparing for like a legal defense. Yeah. I spent so the night before like I I will have... 15 minutes at the most to get my point across to this person. I need to have a plan. I need to be efficient and I need to speak their language. Oh, I wish I was a fly in the room for that conversation. At, right? Oh, I came in hot and not like, <laughs> how did it just go? like very intense? Like I literally, it went okay. I think he definitely, um, was he not ready open. for you. <laughs> he, so it's really funny. He's not my primary care provider. So in this um, area for military medicine, it's not everywhere. It switches up based on where you are. You are assigned a primary care manager. And so you see that person and they are kind of like the conduit or the door open to any specialty, um, which I've not had before in my insurance plans. And so I was like, oh, that's fine. It will be nice to kind of have like a manager of all the things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But instead it just takes a long time to get into them and then takes a long time for them to approve a referral. And it's kind of slowing down the process a little bit. He's not my person. (laughs) He was the only one who had an appointment available. He's also the one who like intercepted me having an anaphylactic shock and had to call the ambulance on me like months ago. And so he opened the door and was like, hi, Hi. like this person. (laughs) And I was like, I am your worst nightmare. Um, Or, or he'll be totally in love with the, the ability was, to take care of you. Like, well, and he was at, he was a dream practitioner in that situation and like handled mm-hmm. everything so well and with such care. And so I can't speak more highly of his like bedside manner and all that good stuff. Which is um, rare. Super but rare. Yes, totally. Um, but I've been on both sides of like walking in with a big binder, right? Like I treat women with complex chronic pain conditions who have been to every specialist and then they walk into my office with a big binder and there's, there's a stigma. I'm telling you from a practitioner, you're like, oh shit, it's the one with the big binder. Like this is going to take a minute. And, um, then I've been the person that walks in with a binder because I'm like, no, this has been going on for seven years and we've treated symptoms. No one has figured out why this is going on. So I get it on both directions. I'm reading a book right now, um, that I recommend to everyone, Mass Cell United, even if you have, do not have a mast cell or histamine. It's really about like patient advocacy. And she listed, she created a timeline of her major symptoms and when they happened and like her major lab results. And so it was, and then she had a, uh, a table of her most up-to-date lab results. So when she would go to a new provider, it was, here's a timeline of the major things like ruling in, ruling out. Here's my most up-to-date lab results. And she still wow. had the binder, but it was like, a snapshot. it's a one page snapshot. And I was like, that is brilliant. I recommend that to everyone. I need to do that. Because as much as it's important to get your story across that first visit, that practitioner does have a limited amount of time and they're going to read through it and be able to see, okay, this is where we're starting. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. I don't, we don't need to go back to step one if step one has already been taken care of. Let's not waste your time and my time. Mm-hmm. Um but me walking into this appointment, I had, I've basically been dismissed appropriate testing. And based on my own research, and unfortunately, it's research that I've had to have my own PhD library access 
to get because full text fucking articles aren't available to the public. How many times sorry, have like, I gone through that? I, I like I'll read a, like, right. the That's something major that drives breakdown, me crazy to no end. But I can't yeah. get into it. I'm just like, right. Okay. So I use my, my library access because I was like, this MD is going to respect studies. This MD is going to respect a list of, of things that need to be done based on studies. He's not going to respect these words that are used in a more like holistic health approach. I need to know the word that it's called in Western medicine. And I think that's very important too, is yeah. like knowing the terminology of who you're talking to um, so that the, everybody's on the sp- same page and speaking the same language. I can second that hands down. Like, I yes. don't think that immunologist would have taken me seriously if I hadn't talked to him about things in terms that he really was like, oh, that's why he was like, right. You have a medical, you background? Have a medical background. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Well, and that's what this guy didn't know my professional background. And I was <laughs> saying, I was saying, this is, um, these have been the differential diagnoses. They have been ruled out. However, these are the only tests that have been done to rule them out, which is not the clinical diagnosis of this. I was like, so for me, this is still on the table. Like none of this has actually been ruled out. I've just been dismissed from these providers because they weren't able to give me answers. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I would like these tests to be done because things still have not been ruled ruled in or ruled out. And it's very much a product of this like siloed medicine where one practitioner tested this organ, literally like this one organ. And then another practitioner tested this organ where the things that I am being wanting to be tested for are a systemic disease. (laughs) So it's like, it's not, it's not not, that affects that one organ organ system in the body is not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, he asked me like, well, what are your results of this? What were your results of this? And I said, here's what they were. These are the tests that haven't been done. And he said, what's your, what's your professional background? (laughs) What do you do? And I was like, I'm a pelvic health physical therapist. I'm a PhD student. And he was like, okay. And then like moved on. And he then was like, come back to my office. I went back to his office to his computer. And he was like, these are the labs that I'm putting in. Show me that paper. Is this what, is this what you want put in? This is what I have available. And I, I like, entered in my own labs into yes. the computer. Mm-hmm. And, That's amazing. And not everyone would do that, but I really think it was me saying, this is where we're at. I'm speaking your language. These are the studies that mm-hmm. I have to show that. And I use the words like, I've been dismissed by not using evidence-based practice. I wasn't saying like, I'm still sick. I still feel terrible. These are still my symptoms. He would have been like, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. But instead I said, I've been dismissed by not receiving evidence-based practice. And he's like, shit. Yeah. He's like, oh, I better be providing some evidence-based practice for you. (laughs) Right. Totally. And he was on, on board with at least getting the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's really key advice too, coming from you in that space, because I think so many times, even when we're trying to be the advocate for ourselves or for our children, you know, the words that come up are, you know, around like how we, their feelings Mm -hmm. rather than um, like clinical symptoms. Or even if they are symptoms, we talk about them in a way like their feelings and feelings come and go, right? (laughs) And if you want to be taken seriously, you need to have that level of evidence. I think it's really important. I think everybody could serve themselves incredibly well by writing down a timeline, Timeline. two two timelines, one being the like big events in your life, emotional stress, Mm -hmm. trauma, all that kind of stuff. And then any chronic acute whatever health issues that have happened right and have that that's actually one of the intake forms that I had for all of my nutrition clients and I didn't do it in the first year I didn't know I needed it I went to a conference and there was someone who was like I deal with really intense gut issues in people and I have to have them write down a timeline of literally like where have they been what have they been through Mm -hmm. because gut issues can be triggered by emotional trauma by sexual trauma by Mm -hmm. uh going to another country by eating a weird food like there's a million different things so if you really want to get at the root of the issue you have to know that timeline and i can't even tell you the level of understanding that people had walking in the door when i started doing that versus before i did that 
I was like, you need to be your own advocate. You need to help me. We're working together to figure this out. I don't have all the answers for you, but it took me a year of being in practice to get there because I thought I was supposed to have all the answers. Right. And then I would spend hours and hours researching at night if I didn't know what I was doing. And Mm -hmm. it was, it was a lot. And I think that is so, so important. I love the timeline idea. And so many of the things that I saw pop up for my clients were this massive relationship between huge life events and subsequent illness. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yes. I, I mean, like loss of a parent, huge hit to their immune system. I mean, like mm-hmm. in, I'm, it was like, wow, it was absolutely, it was huge, huge eye opening for every single person. So I'd recommend doing that. Um, you know, even if you're not someone who needs this, like, you know, we need to go down the rabbit hole and kind of figure out and research and figure out what's going on with your body. Um, even if you're just an average person who feels great day to day and whatever, like go through that and, and walk through it. I think it's really helpful. So I well, and I think that's huge because people don't know their baseline. No. So if something, everyone thinks their baseline is sick. Yes. Yeah. Everybody thinks their baseline is significantly more uncomfortable than it actually needs to be like or that their baseline is going to match this reference range of lab values numbers weight like all of our normal not normal is based on huge averages right but of a really sick population right and so if you know your own baseline then you know when something pops up and it's not normal for you yeah when I started having really bad hypotension, so when I started having all this stuff, my blood pressure was dropping so much. And when I would go into an office, the first thing that happens is they take your blood pressure. They're used to these hypertensive people having terrible blood pressure. And so they see 90 over something and they're like, look at you. Look how healthy you are. And I'm like, it used to be 120 over 80. I feel awful. And this is my new normal. Also, I would and never I, take someone's blood pressure at 90 over and, and be like, that's good. So these are, but okay. So the first person that you interact with in a, a larger medical facility is going to be like a CNA, a tech, a, someone that is doing a checklist, right? Like their job is to do a checklist. It is not to interpret lab values, to interpret numbers, but that person is passing along information to the person that does do that. And so if their little like alarm bells aren't going off because you fall into this normal range, Mm -hmm. even though it's not normal for you, that may not be passed along to their, to your provider. That's exactly what happened with Paxson's blood test. Because this doctor told me, well, and I said, I don't understand. Like how, how could he be outside the normal IgE range and nobody's studying to me? And we've had at least four practitioners looking at this blood test and he goes, to be fair, practitioners are only going to be alarmed when it's in the thousands to tens of thousands range. And he's only 150 right. outside. He's like, but then we're looking at cancer and I'm a, but right. then you have Which to match why... it with that clinical presentation, right? Like yes. no one was matching it. People were just looking at the numbers. Well, and yeah, that's and why, like, well, why he called alarming. it a breadcrumb, right? He yes. was like, right. this, this is a breadcrumb in our world. It's not thousands, but I yes. think, yeah. I think, you know, looking for extremes, it's something that happens a lot. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we see this a lot with like autoimmune thyroid, you know, Hashimoto's and autoimmune thyroiditis. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you may have normal lab values, but you may still feel like shit and you might have Hashimoto's. You need to be able to look at antibodies and T4 to T3 conversion and all sorts of different things. And I think one really important thing to note and that I've learned over the years in my experience with blood chemistry ranges is exactly what Genevieve was alluding to, that we've got this huge, massive sick population that's providing the average for us. So there's a huge difference between average blood values and functional blood values. Yeah. Right. And I can't even tell you if I had my vitamin D tested right now, I probably would have a regular practitioner tell me that my vitamin D is normal. But it's not. It's in the tank. And it shows in my symptoms for sure because I'm like, it's not where it's normally at for me. And it's also not in the normal functional range of a healthy human being, of a thrive. Like, I think that's the thing. Like, we don't put ourselves in a position where we say, like, I don't want to be normal. Like, I want to be thriving. Like, I want to feel great. The normal of our society is really not normal, right? It's just common. And I think that discussion has to like persist throughout this whole thing. 
Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Rebel Heart Radio. You can visit our website to submit a question at www.rebelheartradio.com. Or you can hop on our Instagram. You can ask us anything. We love to get to know you guys. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a review on iTunes. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode.